Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. Serving the community for over 75 years, Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, providing access to cancer physicians and the full spectrum of cancer care services close to home. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Sunday marks the 15th anniversary of the September 11th terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center in New York and the Pentagon outside Washington. Almost 3,000 people died that day in what was the worst terrorist attack on American soil. The one terror plot that was foiled near Shanksville in Somerset County, Pennsylvania. The passengers of United Flight 93 stormed the hijacked plane's cabin, and in the struggle, the plane crashed into a field, killing everyone aboard. The passengers of Flight 93 are often called the first heroes of the war on terror. A Smart Talk road trip takes us to a spot just a few hundred yards from where the plane crashed at the Flight 93 Memorial. Over the next hour, we'll talk with several people who played roles then and now. WYTF's uh, Multimedia News Director Tim Lambert will be my co-host a little bit later, and uh, Tim will be joining us. But first, we are joined by Keith Newland, who is the Deputy Sec Superintendent of Western Pennsylvania National Parks. Mr. Newland, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, this is a big weekend, uh, not only here at the Flight 93 uh, crash site at the Memorial Park, but uh, throughout this country as we mark the 15th anniversary. You know, even though you're used to seeing historic sites and uh, walking on what many people would describe as hallowed ground, what's the feeling you get on this hallowed ground, this sacred ground? Well, I think this site is is different than our other National Historic Sites. This history is very still recent, very fresh in the memory of uh, the public who were alive at the time. Uh, those who were alive remember where they were on 9-11. They remember you know, footage of or seeing the planes strike the tower. They remember discussions about the Pentagon and footage there, and then they, they start to remember the footage of the, the burn here at, at Flight 93. So th this site is fresh. It's a different site. It was constructed and, and raised from the ground, so to speak, by a number of partners, local activity, and, and that's different than, than most sites are developed in the National Park Service. The National Park Service tends to uh, have Congress say we need to study this or we make a recommendation this was a local group a number of local groups who who developed this site and it was based on their actions their actions were I would say grassroots they they took action based on a vote uh, they they had intelligence based on their phone calls uh, and you know it's remarkable in less than 35 minutes that they came to the conclusion that they did and that's the, the story that we're, we're continuing to try and get out to those who may have not heard that story or have heard the story or those who are not yet quite what, who weren't born yet. It's about leadership. It's about action. That's what this site is about. I'm just curious. I, I agree. I think you're absolutely right that September 11th is one of those occasions when 
everyone remembers exactly where they were, what they were doing. Where were you? I was uh, north at one of our, uh, our sister parks, the Allegheny Portage Railroad National Historic Site. Uh, we were in, in a staff meeting, uh, but we had made comment about the, the sky, the blue sky, and, and possibly moving that outside. Uh, I was in the meeting. My wife called said, hey, a plane just hit the, uh, the trade center. I said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, I assumed it was a small plane. And, you know, minutes later she called and said, no, another plane just hit the trade center. It's not what you think. You know, you need to get, get, get out of whatever you're doing. And about that time then uh, the folks in Philadelphia called me and we started to talk about how to close down other parks because we didn't know what was happening that day. You know, that's a, probably something that many people aren't aware of. So other national parks national parks were closed that day. Yeah, we started to move through that effort to, to close them down. Uh, and then, you know, there was a sound decision made the next day. We're not giving in to terrorists. We're, we're going to open them back up. But at that time, we didn't know what was happening. So, And because we and, – and I think that's something else that many people uh, don't realize is that – you know, in hindsight, looking back 15 years, uh, we can say, okay, we, we had f- four planes that were hijacked, but we didn't know if there were many more. Correct. We didn't know what the targets were. We didn't know where they were going. And historic sites, national parks may have been targets at that time. That's correct. I mean, you think about the iconic parks, Independence Hall, Washington Monument, the downtown sites in Washington, D.C., in San Francisco. You're right. They may have been. I think that, you know, even that, that relays into the first the first responders who were coming to this site. They were looking for an intact plane. They came here and saw none of that. Uh, you have the footage that we have in the visitor center. The visitor center uh, shows a footage from a Pennsylvania State Police helicopter. And they were actually circling the site. They didn't know what it was quite yet either. So they were circling the site, and they were trying to discern what happened. So there was a lot of mystery in those first couple of days about what happened here. Mm. So let's get back to the the site itself, and we were talking about uh, what's unique about the Flight 93 Memorial. Something else that uh, I get a sense is that, uh, and there are only a few places around the country where you can say this, that there's a reverence. There's a reverence here. I think of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington. Uh, some other places where there have been tragedies, Dealey Plaza in Dallas, that people, when they walk around here, they're quiet. They whisper. We're probably the loudest thing in this Memorial Park right now. But there's no, there are no signs around here that say, please be quiet or anything like that. Why is that? I think that it goes back to the fact that when people realize that the nature of their actions and how short a time frame it took, that they, they, they absolutely are struck, awestruck by the fact that they took that action in that short time frame and that they gave their lives to protect, you know, the capital, whatever the target was. We, we had a lot of discussion about uh, that very thought about in the visitor center, how we were going to present the visitor center exhibits. Of course, you all know we constructed this phase first. The first These, phase, this phase, this phase, which is this plaza that's below us, and the visitor shelter, and the wall of names, and the the road down to it. Um, that was constructed because people who came to the temporary memorial, which was located almost due east of us here, uh, asked two questions when they arrived: uh, Where did the plane go in the ground, and how close can we get? Um, this effort was almost 
entirely privately funded by, by private citizens, private donations. So we had to prioritize our, our, our construction efforts. So that phase was constructed because then it allows the visitor to get very close to the crash site, the impact site, the debris field, and, and, and it lets them see that and they can get a clear understanding of that. Okay, so let's talk about some of the things that uh, you just mentioned. Um, obviously, we're on radio, so you'll have to do a good job of oh, okay. describing. But I remember I was here probably a year, a year after uh, September 11th, 2001. And you talked about the temporary memorial, which was really nothing more than a gravel parking lot. And there were fences, but... There were a number of Americans who left mementos, which I understand were all saved. Uh, but as you said, everyone wanted to know what happened, see the crash site. But this park, or this memorial was built with the flight path in mind. Describe that. Well, what we have, you know, the visitor center is now constructed. It sits on top of the hill. It overlooks the field that, that, that we're currently sitting in. The architect was given a couple of parameters. The entire design committee was given a couple of parameters. One of those parameters was to lay lightly on the land. The other was to honor the resting place of the passengers and crew. Uh, Paul Murdoch's design did that. So everything that you see in front of you in this open field, this, there's over 300 acres of open field here. We're here at the time of the, of the crash. Um, the family members, when you talk to them, remember this, this wind, this gentle yeah. wind. They it's were, always windy up yeah, here. Yeah, it's always windy. They remember this open field just like this. This field is an arrested development. It, it's a lousy soil. It has lousy soil. It's a, it's, a, it's a strip mine. But they remember those high weeds and that wind and that wind blowing through it. So they sat, actually, the families first saw the crash site from where you are sitting now. Behind you, there's a little flag stem. So they saw that field, and that was part of Paul Murdoch's design. He wanted to... Uh, his design was chosen because it kept this field intact. It allowed the public to get close to the crash site with a little bit of development down at the edge of the debris field. The entire field is surrounded by two things, a, a road uh, and then a, a very uh, adequate pathway that allows people to walk around this. It's about a mile, it's about a mile distance on, on the walking distance. This gives you an idea of the, the span of this. The visitor center is on, on the top of the hill it's intended to give people the first look. We did raise the elevation up there uh, so that that flight path overlook that you see, you come through the walls, you come into the parking lot, you're attracted to the, the split between the walls, you come to the overlook, it gives you the first view of everything that here that's here. And of course, the most important thing, the flight path and the crash site. The crash site is marked by what? It's marked by a 17-ton sandstone boulder. Mm. Uh, those first pictures, the day uh, that afternoon, September 11th, and the days after, uh, when we saw from the air, and there were some ground shots too, as first responders were still on the scene, uh, where you know I remember many people commenting, "I'm surprised that uh, that's not deeper." That uh, the plane, and now we know that uh, Flight 93 hit the ground at a 40-degree angle at 560 miles per hour. That many people commented that. Uh, Shouldn't there be a, a bigger hole in the ground than that? Well, if you think about that trajectory, and, and it was also inverted, you got to remember it was upside down. So It, came it into, rolled kind of where right. we are right now. Right. It, it rolled over top of itself, right? Yeah, it rolled over top. So it came into the ground at such a severe angle that, you know, in the, the cockpit in the first class, um, 
sections of the plane exploded into the hemlocks and burned about a quarter of an acre of hemlock trees, the rest of it according into the ground about 40 feet, 45 feet. And how long after September 11th? I mean, that ground was, uh, there was digging that went in there, through there, searching for all kinds of debris, uh, the, the bodies of uh, the passengers. How long before that hole was filled in? It wasn't, it wasn't more than a week and a half. That the investigation, I mean, they, they, they started their investigation, they took their physical evidence, and then they started to reclaim the site. Mm-hmm. They were able to get everything out of there in that short period of time. Uh, there was quite an extensive investigation, quite a number of team members down here, uh, you know, first responders who were here, the FBI, of course. They knew uh, once it started to settle with them that the two planes that went into the tower, the Trade Center, and the Pentagon were demolished. They, and they're, they're, they would probably find no evidence. So they focused on this site, and quite frankly, they, they, were, they were very wise. Um, the, uh, the investigation was broken here when you go back up to the... Uh, Visitor center, you'll see a copy of a credit card that was discovered. Started to unwind the entire uh, network. How large was the debris field? The debris field is about um, 27 acres. So it's entirely it's uh, it's sort of a misnomer because if uh, as I stand here and look and I look at the ceremonial gate in the boulder, there's a there's a parking lot that's about 1,700 yards down to the visitor shelter. Beyond that, there's even a fence that 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 demarks the debris field. So the plane went in the ground and debris was spread all the way down to the visitor shelter parking lot. So the, in, the intensity is just, it's amazing. Is there still debris there? Yes, there is still debris there. There are still human remains there. Um, Wally described... Uh, Wally Miller is the corridor of Somerset County. Yeah. He described to Joanne and I one day that uh, Joanne Hanley, the former super, one of the former superintendents that we we were in we were at the at the gate site and and we said well Wally, you know we don't mean to be morbid we just we just wanted to know. Uh, sorry, Colin. It's all right. It's all right. I mean this is uh, when I call it sacred ground. Uh, it also is the final resting place for more than forty people too. I mean this is it's great. It's a large memorial, but uh, it's it's a cemetery. It is, and and, and I'm sorry. I, uh, the uh, he, Wally said we were standing almost. We were standing on the flight path. We were standing in the center, and said, "You know, Wally, we're not trying to be more, but we're just trying to, you know, understand where the the remains were concentrated." He pointed to the point of woods on the left here. He said, "There." He said, "Off to the right, and in the center, of course, down where the the hemlock grove was." He said, um, "He had uh, uh, remain dogs who were searching for remains." They went into that area and they they stopped. They said they're everywhere. They sat down. So there's five inches of topsoil all over that interior area. So there are still human remains there. We only have a minute or so left in this segment. Keith, I want to thank you very much for being with us today. As far as this weekend goes, I know that there will be uh, a number of family members here. What's planned for this weekend? Uh, we on on Saturday night we will carry 40 luminaria to the Wall of Names. That's the white marble wall that flanks the flight path below us. They're placed there. They sit there over an hour. Uh, it's simply a remembrance, a quiet remembrance of, of passengers and crew members. Um, on the morning of the 11th, we'll have our ceremony, uh, memorial service on top of the hill. We uh, ring ring our, our bells, uh, our prime bell and our remembrance bell. We read all 40 names. There'll be brief remarks by, uh, you know, selected officials. 
uh, and that takes about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. And then at 1245, we will go back down to the uh, Wall of Names. We'll have a gate opening ceremony. We'll have a flag folding ceremony. And then all the family members that are present walk through and they go down to the boulder. Mm. Keith Newland is the Deputy Superintendent of Western Pennsylvania National Parks. Keith, thank you very much for being with us today. And thank you for having me. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Welcome back to Smart Talk. We're on a Smart Talk road trip today, broadcasting from the Flight 93 Memorial in Somerset County, just a few days short of the 15th anniversary of the September 11th terrorist attacks. I'm Scott Lamar, and I am joined by my co-host now, Tim Lambert, WITF's multimedia news director, who has a special place or a special role when we talk about this day. But, uh, Tim, we were a little bit late getting here. You okay? I'm fine. I'm good. All right. It's good. great to be here. Great to be here. How often have you been here? <laughs> Maybe we should tell the backstory yeah, first. that's a long story. Tim's family own part of the land where Flight 93 crashed. What, what part of the land did you own? Now, I know we're on radio, so you'll have to describe it. What part of the land did you own? The easiest way to describe it is that if you look at the pictures of the initial uh, scene and on September 11th of the first responders sort of milling about around this, this, this crater in the ground, this smoking crater, uh, where the tree line, the blackened trees in the background are, that's where the property line would have started. So maybe 10 to 20 yards from where the plane hit ground. Uh, that's where our property started, and it was broken up, broken up into two different sections. One was six acres, which is was uh, included as part of the crash site, and then uh, my grandfather had actually built some cabins and sold property off in the 30s, which helped the family get through the, the Depression. Uh, and those cabins were sort of the buffer between the rest of our property, which was about 158 acres behind the uh, crash site. So on September 11th, when you uh, watched television and heard about the crash here, what went through your mind? I mean, when did you realize that, hey, that may be on our land? Well, you know, as a, as a journalist, you're, that day was as soon as uh, the second plane hit the tower, we went to work. Uh, I worked in the afternoon uh, as the All Things Considered host, and uh, so I wasn't supposed to go in until 2, till two o'clock. Um, but as soon as I saw the second plane hit, I knew of the magnitude of what was happening, that we were at war, and uh, I called in and my boss at the time, uh, Damon Bo Baumer, said, uh, just get in here and hung up on me. So uh, I went. He did that anyway, yeah, folks. Usually. He was not that, uh, so, that polite. So I, I <laughs> headed into work, uh, and on the way in, it was about 1030, and uh, I heard on the radio, uh, NPR, of course, that uh, a plane had gone down near Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And uh, I thought, well, my dad might know somebody. Since he grew up in Shanksville, he could probably connect me with someone. I, have a, I might have a good source here. Uh, and then later in the afternoon, working like crazy, a chaotic newsroom uh, around 4.30 in the afternoon. I still remember this as clear as day. I stopped in the newsroom, looked at our little television, and there was a network reporter standing on the corner of the Lambertsville-Shanksville Road. And I thought, wow, that's, uh, that's really close to the property, if not there. So at the time, they kept saying it was an abandoned or it was a reclaimed strip mine. Uh, and uh, in a field, and uh, so later that night I got home at 1.30 in the morning. My dad had left a voicemail for me and said, those are our hemlocks. Called him back, and, and uh, he said, I grew up there. I know that property. That's it. It's, it's, it's ours. What do we do? And uh, I said, well, I, they're a little busy right now, but they'll find us. And uh, sure enough, about three or four weeks later, the Somerset County coroner, Wallace Miller, gave me a call and said, your land is part of the crash site. I'd like you to come up and take a look. It was that long? It was that long. 
Yeah, I didn't. Realize most it was most that of long. the landowners were local, uh, so they were easy to find. But uh, since I was out, I was the only one from outside the area. It took a little little time to get to me because <laughs> they had other things to do. So, as a journalist, uh, you had access to this site. Uh, probably more so than other uh, journalists, other reporters around the country. When was the first time you visited after uh, September 11th? Uh, It wasn't too long after uh, Wally Miller's call. Uh, So the first weekend in October of 2001, it was the day before the Afghan war started. And uh, and when he had called me to tell me we were part of the owners, uh, I said to him, just to be clear, I'm a reporter. And if, if you knew Wally, he says, so. And uh, so I said, all right, uh, I'm going to bring a recorder, if that's okay, and a, and a, fo- and a camera. I'm going to take pictures because nobody's really on the site. Nobody knows what it's like. He said, you're a landowner. You can do what you want. I'm not going to stop you. And, and that started a beautiful friendship with Wally Miller uh, for the last 15 years. But uh, So, yeah, October, we, uh, we went down to the site. My dad met me here because I didn't know how to get here. I hadn't been here in 15, 20 years and uh, drove down to the site and met Wally and went through the locked gate, uh, escorted in by a county sheriff's deputy, and uh, he just gave us the, the lay of the land as, as to what happened on September 11th, what they were doing to clean up. We weren't allowed to go into the woods um, because there was still debris coming down from the 60-foot-tall hemlock trees, so we, we couldn't go in the woods. And uh, you could smell jet fuel. I mean, it's a windy day always here, and you could smell jet fuel when the wind picked up, which was startling. Um, and then... You know, so we asked him, what happened to the plane? Like, what did you find? And he bent over and he picked up a dime size, a quarter size piece of metal and said, well, it just broke into pieces like this. And it was like a shutter and a camera going off. And then it was like everywhere you looked was debris from the plane. Mm. It was it was the most surreal experience that, mm. that again, it's just burned deeply in my, my mind. By the way, Wally Miller, the Somerset County coroner who... Uh, not only is he the coroner in Somerset County, uh, but has been hailed as a hero by many of uh, the family members of uh, Flight 93 passengers. Uh, he's described as the caretaker of uh, a cemetery, their, their final resting place. He was scheduled to be a guest on today's program, but he is the county coroner and duty called. So uh, it's unfortunate for whoever that that family is, but uh, you know Wally was uh, had agreed to be on today's program, but had a call in the southern part of uh, Somerset County today. So you just produced a piece 15 years, and we're going to hear a, a bit of it here in a moment. But uh, looking back over those 15 years, what are your thoughts? Well. Um... Like I've said many times, uh, there, there wasn't really a book to read about this uh, I, on how to proceed with a national tragedy happening on your property. Um, coming here now, it, I, I just feel pride. Um, I think it's, uh, it's just great to see the site the way it is. It just really is. It's, it's beautiful. I mean, if, if you would have told me in October 2001, looking at that field of devastation, and said, this is how it's going to look in 15 years, I would have been thrilled. And uh, I'm just so happy that the families have something they wanted and a place that they can come and remember their loved ones. And that uh, the memory and the story will live on in ge- for generations. And I'm just thrilled and, and honored to be have a small role in making sure this was uh, established. You have gotten to know, I don't know whether I'd say many, but uh, several of uh, the family members. Talk about that, how you got to know some of the family members and 
uh, you know, what you've learned and the kind of relationship that you've had with them? Well, I mean, my first my first thought has always been with the families ever since this happened. And, I, and if you go back to the 2001 piece, which will be on our website tomorrow or which will be on our website, um, you'll be able to hear it. And, and that was that was really what our concern was. What did the families want? How can we help them deal with this? And how can we take at least worries over what's going to happen at the site off their plate? They had enough to worry about and, and, and mourn their loved ones. So um, the first family member I met was... Uh, Sandy Bradshaw's family. Sandy Bradshaw was the um, stewardess who told her husband on a cell phone call that she was boiling water to throw on the terrorist. Um, and Wally had driven them out here. It was the fir- it was the night of the first meeting that they were going to discuss. The Park Service mediated it. It was they were going to discuss what to do with the site. So I was out here just getting some inner strength before I went to this because I didn't know how landowners were going to be. Um, accepted there so i just was sort of girding myself a little bit and trying to take some inspiration and he drove out there with a car and i knew it was a family right away because they, nobody would be coming out here at six or seven o'clock at night so i was going to leave and he introduced me to them and then i ran into them again at ida's they were getting a sandwich because that's the only place you can get a sandwich in shanksville at least at the time i don't know if that's changed but uh ida's is pretty famous now and uh, i i think it was i think it was her mother or or mother-in-law was asking me, oh, you're a reporter, um, you know, and the landowner. And I said, yeah. And she said, just tell their story. Um, so that's what I tried to do over the years. And, and you know, I, I met a lot of the families while they put together a, a meeting in New Jersey in February 2002, where he explained to all the families um, against recommendations from all, all these other officials, this is a bad idea, but all the families needed that at that time. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a coroner, he's a, he's a funeral home director, he knew you know, the levels of mourning, and they needed this. So he brought them all together. I helped him with that a little bit, just providing some assistance and being some support, you know, offering support. So I met uh, Debbie Borza there, actually. And uh, Debbie is so special. And she said, uh, the very first time we met, she came up to me, and she said, uh, I'm so sorry. And I said, for what? And she said, well, you're involved in this now. Your trees were just destroyed. And you're, in, you're a part of this, and you have to deal with this, and you, you don't need that. And I'm thinking, man, you just lost your daughter. You're the, the youngest person on board Flight 93. It was amazing. And uh, Debbie and I have had, have, have had quite the bond over the years. Um, uh, in, oh, go ahead. What, what I was going to say is, I, I want to do this right now, if we can. Uh, the, the feature that you produced that you will be able to see on the WITF website. Does that have a name, by the way? Uh, yes, it's, uh, if I can remember, it's Flight 93, Devotion to a Quiet Field. There we go. And there not only is audio there, as Tim uh, said earlier, uh, but a, a lot of uh, photographs as, as well. Yeah, there's a but, virtual tour of the visitor center as well we mm-hmm. put together. So. Debbie Borsa, and your piece goes uh, seven or eight minutes, uh, but we have a, a snippet of it here uh, where Debbie Borsa is with you. Uh, on the site, and let's hear for, let's hear that right now. Borza is standing in front of locked gates, restricting access to all but family members and Park Service personnel. She considers what's on the other side to be sacred ground. Debbie and her friend step inside. And here we have a marker. This is where Diora's mom is most comfortable. People would say, where's the crash site? We would kind of wave our hands, you know. Oh, it's out Borza there. wasn't always comfortable with the thought of making Diora's final resting place a national memorial, but her views evolved over time. After all, 
her grief didn't have much of a chance to remain very private. It's a very tough personal journey. To give up my daughter to the public, to turn her life over to people who never really knew her. And I think what it was is then, well, if they never knew her, and now they're, they have an opportunity to know who she was, how do I want the story told and who would What was best? once a more matter-of-fact tone to turns to something else, a mix of strength and resolve. No matter how much they know about her, you know, they could never say, you know, I was her mother. Her right fist firmly taps her heart. Only I get to say that. <laughs> you know, so, so that's what I hold dear. And the rest of Dura, I now gladly give her away to anybody and everybody who's interested, who wants to name their girls after her, to whoever wants to do, you know, community service work, any, anything that they learn about Dior that they want to take on for themselves, it makes me happy. Her devotion to this quiet field teeming with waist-high grass, woodlands, ferns, and wildflowers has a singular focus. The lessons of what happened here should never be diminished. Tim, I have to say that uh, every time I have heard uh, a feature that you've produced involving family members, it always is that emotional. You always can tell that even 15 years later, and no surprise here, that even 15 years later, that uh, that emotion is right there on the edge every time. Yeah, um, and, and that's sort of what I've tried to do over the years. I've, I've done a story pretty much every anniversary, the 5th, the 10th, and the 15th now, and, and each time with, with different family members. Debbie was in the 5th anniversary story as well. And, uh, you know, we just have a, a relationship where, where they trust me. Um, and I don't, I don't mean to say that as, you know, some, some great journalist that really, you know, digs and gets, the, gets these juicy quotes. I mean, we have honest conversations. And, and she was being so matter-of-fact the entire time. I mean, she, she stopped at one point and pointed and said, oh, there's the boulder. That's where the plane hit the ground. She was so matter-of-fact. And, and I knew there was more to it, uh, having talked to her over the years. So we were just talking. And, and at that point, right before that, that quote, I, I had said to her, you know, five years or 10 years ago, we stood on the same spot and you told me your grief didn't get a chance to remain very private. And that's where she, she showed that, that, that flicker of emotion, that, that, that passion. And, uh, you know, she had a great line too in the story where she talks about, she wants people to come away from here, um, with being able to find the courage whenever courage is needed, just like the passengers and crew on flight 93. And, uh, you know, she's just a lovely interview. I just, <laughs> I could talk to her all day. And, uh, well, you can hear the entire uh, feature, Tim's entire feature on uh, WITF-FM. Uh, you also can go to WITF.org, uh, click on the Flight 93. What is, it, the, again, the name of the? Uh, Devotion to a Quiet Field. And, uh, again, uh, a, a lot of photographs and a, a lot years. to see. Yeah, through the years. Other than uh, than, than just the, the piece itself. Uh you, uh, your family, okay, you were landowners. Mm -hmm. The National Park Service wanted to acquire this land. I mean, this is a big, there's a big footprint here for this. Yes. Uh, this isn't like just, okay, plane went down here. I mean, I don't know how many acres we're talking about, but. Uh, I think it's 1,500 uh, acres by the Park Service and another 700 that they've worked out. Okay. You know, uh, cooperative agreement or something like that. But your family was one of, if not the first, to donate your land, correct? 
Um, it's complicated, but I was we were the first to to um, to pledge that. Um, obviously, when you when you're involved in something like this, there's a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of moving pieces. But I, I, really, the pledge to me was I wanted it out there. I wanted the families to at least know that the six acres that I had control over, they were going to be taken care of, regardless of how this all played out. Um, and it became a sticking point, actually, with some family members over the years. Why haven't you donated that land? You're going to be the first to, to make that step, and, and the others will follow. And, uh, you know, I have a family, too, and, and having lived in Gettysburg, I know how historical preservation works when it comes to property. And if I would have donated the six, then maybe the 158 hang out there for a couple of more years, and that's more in attorney fees. I just wanted it to be a clean break, make the deal on both pieces of property. So... I can move on, step back, let the families move forward with the memorial process. Um, it, after a lot of complication, it eventually worked out. The, the Park Service, uh, after threats of eminent domain, um, purchased the six acres. And then what I did was the families of Flight, Flight 93 bought the rest of the property, and I deducted the amount I got from the Park Service off of the price that the families of Flight 93 paid. Mm. So that's... Not really a donation, but that's the best I can do in the circumstances that were presented to me. Well, Tim is going to stay with me uh, during our final segment of today's program, but uh, thanks for telling the story. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Welcome back to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar, along with Tim Lambert, WITF's Multimedia News Director. It's a Smart Talk road trip. We're coming to you from the Flight 93 Memorial in Somerset County near Shanksville. And just a couple days short of uh, the 15th anniversary of the September 11th terrorist attacks. It's a solemn occasion on that day and really almost any time that uh, you're here. You know, Tim, one thing I have to say to you... Uh, our audience can hear it, and our studio audience that uh, took a bus trip here today can witness this. It's almost always breezy up here. Has it always been that way? Yes. I always I should have told everybody on the bus that uh, prepare for it to be 10 degrees cooler here than anywhere else that we're traveling. That's well, actually. that is a good thing today because uh, I think temperature in central Pennsylvania are, are in the 90s today. Yeah. So we'll, we'll take those, uh, those temperatures. But you always hear that description of it being a windswept field. And it's not hyperbole. No, no, it is exactly <laughs> that. It is exactly that. We're joined now by Kathy Schaefer, who is the Oral History Project Assistant with the National Park Service. Ms. Schaefer, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, I think that your title is pretty much self-explanatory. It is. But I will ask anyway, <laughs> what does the Oral History Specialist do? Well, uh, the Park Service began the Oral History Project for Flight 93 in 2005. I joined the project just a few months in, and I'm the person that identifies those who should be interviewed, who have a connection to the Flight 93 story, schedule interviews, conduct the interviews, um, see that they get transcribed, and we return transcripts. So there's a lot of communication back and forth with the interviewee until we have a final, complete reviewed transcript and of course the purpose of the whole project was really to preserve the story save the story so that future generations will be able to learn more about flight 93 from the first persons and kathy you have this unique position of you're on the front lines of preserving this history by by 
talking to people who have been involved, you know, that first person account of any role that they played, whether it was a first responder, whether it was a family member, dare I say landowner. Um, but, you know, what has it been like for you to, to hear these stories through the years? I mean, there's powerful, powerful stories there. You are right. Um, and you and I had the opportunity to record an oral history because you have such a unique story as a landowner and a member of the media. Um, our roots, the Lamberts and the Landises, actually go back a long way here oh, in Somerset really? County. Yes. Oh, <laughs> well, when it said Lambertville Road, I thought, is there a Landis uh, Road? There are some other locations. Okay, all right, yeah. okay. Those but are two any, big families. Right? <laughs> but at any rate, um, it's really, really been a privilege for me to be part of this project, to be entrusted with these stories. Uh, we've talked with family members, friends, and the colleagues of the passengers and crew, as well as uh, individuals who saw the plane in the final seconds of its flight as it came across the Laurel Mountain descending. Uh, we've talked with citizen responders and the first responders who were called here uh, with the FBI and all of the federal, state, and local agencies who were part of this mega response to Flight 93. Uh, we've talked with members of the media who covered the story from a cornfield just off the Lambertsville Road. Uh, in 2001. And of course, we've talked with United Airlines personnel, air traffic controllers from the Cleveland Air Route Traffic Control Center, uh, government officials, um, folks involved in memorialization of mm. Flight 93, books, films. So it's this, this wide swath of people that have been is. involved with this. I'm curious, though, are there stories that stick out to you? What are some of them? Oh, I think every story, when it's finished, I feel like we've just put a piece into the tapestry, if you will, that is Flight 93. The stories are beautiful, and they just, they're so revealing. I think each one reveals something unique about that individual's experience and connection. Is there one that, uh, yeah, you had to know I was going to ask this. Is there one that sticks out to you, though, one that you thought to yourself after you went away? Is that the, oh. She has a number here, Scott, that says 868 interviews, so it might be tough to pick it one is, out. It is. It is tough. <laughs> um, you know, I think one of the stories I have to go back to, uh, and not to lessen my feeling about any of the stories, but the story that Lori Guadagno recorded a long time ago, one of my early stories that I did, she's the sister of Richard Guadagno, who was a passenger on Flight 93. And um, I remember when we finished that story, it was complete. I made some copies of it, the transcript, and I passed it out to everybody in the National Park Service office working on the project. And I said, if you're a brother or a sister, you have to read this story. Um, their what, love. What made, that, yeah, what made that unique? Their love, her love for her brother and uh, just the way her, the way she was able to express herself, and and how she hated this site until she returned for the first anniversary, 2002, and Coroner Miller permitted the families at that point their first opportunity to walk the crash site was when they returned at one year, and um, she saw the regeneration 
of the hemlock stand, Tim. The, the ferns were yeah. growing there yeah. again. Uh, the trees that had been destroyed, they had been taken down and, and mulched and left on the site. But she saw really the healing of the landscape beginning. And I think for her, that was really, that would, that was representative or symbolic of some personal step toward healing. Yeah, they were down in the field to our right and to the audience's left uh, behind the uh, wall of names there. And that was the one that uh, President Bush was there. Yes. He flew in. Um, and I remember that because Cece Lyles' husband. Lauren who, Lyles. Yeah, he was on the outskirts walking in the high grass with his kids. And he looked so happy. And he had been at that February 2nd meeting and uh, six meeting. months before, yeah, and he had he was just a mess. And to see him that day sort of start the process of, of healing, uh, I'll never forget that either. That was another moment. And we should say Richard Gordogno was a wildlife officer. He was a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service officer and had um, training. Uh, he had attended, um, they call it FLETC. Uh, it's a federal law enforcement school. And... Um, Although Richard was traveling uh, for personal reasons that day, he had come home to New Jersey to celebrate his grandmother's 100th birthday. Um, he was not armed on the plane, but he had federal law enforcement training. And I think in his family's mind, there's no doubt that Richard played an integral role in this counterattack. And, and his badge and wallet were found hanging now from a tree. Now that's a story it, I wish Wally was here to <laughs> discuss. Yeah, actually. Found hanging in the tree. Untouched. There's a badge That's in the his. visitor center. That is, is his. Is that his? Okay. Um, you know, something that uh, you, you just said, Kathy, that, uh, Tim, I think I've heard you say it uh, talking to some family members over the years, is that they hated the site. Absolutely hated it. Dreaded coming here. Not everyone, but really didn't want to see it, but yet they, they did. But then their minds changed. Now, you don't know whether that's the case for everyone, but you've heard that over the years, haven't you? That there were people who, they didn't want to see it, or they hated it. They didn't, they didn't want to know what happened here, but they've changed their minds. I think for some family members, it's become more of a place of solace now. Um, when they visit, um, today we can hear the, uh, the crickets um, the geese, um, the wind, you feel the wind, feel the wind. you hear the wind, and it's a place to um, reflect, and the memorial landscape allows for that. Um, so I think it is a place now, I hope, of comfort. You know, and I'm doing a complete 180 here, but uh, someone asked me when I mentioned that, that we were to be broadcasting from here uh, about witnesses to the actual crash itself. No one has actually witnessed the, the plane hitting the ground. But, Kathy, you talked about witnesses that saw the plane as it was coming into. What were their stories? Because that actually is a story that's not told very often. Well, we've recorded a, a number of those accounts, um, and actually you can hear excerpts of those oral histories on the Friends of Flight 93 website under a tab called Explore Plus Learn. Uh, there's a piece where we've lifted out about seven or eight of those accounts, uh, everything from a man working at um, one of the local scrapyard junkyards 
and he's out in the field uh, picking a car part and the plane comes over to a woman hanging out her laundry and sees the plane and realizes it's flying erratically, it's going down. Um, so a number of those accounts uh, we have been able to share uh, through the Explore Plus Learn tab on the Friends website. Um, in regard to eyewitnesses to the plane going down, uh, from our location here behind you folks in the audience where you see the visitor's center, that was the location of a scrapyard also, a different scrapyard called Rolock. And um, there were some men outside cutting metal that day. They would have been the last ones to view the plane. Um, unfortunately, they have not chosen to participate to record their stories. And we know there are people that are still, at 15 years, unable to talk about their experience. It's hard. I mean, it is, it's a difficult topic to, to discuss and to, to kind of share it with people. Uh, I can see the hesitation in, in doing that. It's, it's not an easy thing to talk about, but um, I think, for me at least, and I'm sure you feel this way too, Kathy, not speaking for you, but, you know, there's always that uh, the World Trade Center and the Pentagon in this field in Pennsylvania, and I think people should have a better understanding of what happened in this field in Pennsylvania and, and the heroic acts that were that took place right above us in the skies here. Um, so I, I feel like telling the story is the best way to, to help people understand a little bit more about, about what happened and, and why that was a bright light on a very dark day. I'm curious, what questions are you asked most often or what are people most curious about, Kathy? In terms of visiting the memorial? Yeah, or, or the, the, the crash, the memorial, any of it. What questions do you get most often? I mean, earlier Keith Newland said everyone wants to know where the, the point of impact was and how close they can get to it. But when people uh, are, are giving their oral histories and they're talking about it, and I'm sure there are other people who ask, well, what are they talking about? What, mm -hmm. what are their questions? Well, I think the families, um, for the non-family member, they, they, the visitor wants to know about the families. Do they come here? How do they feel about this? Were they involved in designing the memorial? Um, the representative objects that are in the exhibit in the visitor center, they want to know more about those. So there is a deep interest in the passengers and crew individually and their families. So I think that's one thing that is of interest to the visitor. What, what about the, for you, what's the, what's the best question you like to ask and what has elicited the, the best response? What kind of questions do you ask people when you have them tell their, their story? Well, one of the questions that we often ask close to the end of the interview, I call them the thoughtful questions. Um, how has this experience impacted you or changed you or has it changed you? And um, I think it would be wonderful to really delve into that subject um, and learn how people have taken this experience and done something positive with it. It's really sort of another chapter of finding, as Debbie Borza talked to you about, finding the strength they need for whatever situation they're facing, the courage, the strength. And so how did people take this experience and and do something very positive with it. And we have a lot of those stories in our collection. 
Kathy Schaefer is the Oral History Project Assistant with the National Park Service. Ms. Schaefer, thank you for being with us today. Thank you. And Tim Lambert, and uh, Tim, we'll hear from you, I think, uh, probably uh, Monday morning, right? I hope. Uh, thank you for your <laughs> contribution. Uh, th- you know, I learned. Pleasure. I learned after 15 years. There's still things I learned from your story as well, and I learned a few things here, here today. We are broadcasting from the Flight 93 Memorial, uh, September 11th, 15th anniversary on Sunday, and uh, I hope you take uh, time to reflect uh, on that day as well.